This podcast is the ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Rosemont, Georgia. For information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. 30, 9.30, and 11. So they've had long, a long week and a long morning. Uh, let's, let's thank them again for what they did. And I want to pray for us, if I could, before we get started this morning with our sermon. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for, again, the opportunity to study your word, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to come together as a body of believers to focus on you. So, Lord, I pray right now you would give us clarity of thought and mind, Lord, as we just think about your word, think about all the things you'd have us to see and understand. And, Lord, I pray that we take what we've learned and we apply it to our lives so we may be transformed more into the image of your Son. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. We have any runners in here? Anybody that likes to run? A few, a couple, not many, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A few of you ran in the 5K recently. How many of you only run when somebody's chasing you? Is that you? Yes, yes, me too. Right. We had a lot of runners in our church, and, and I've been thinking this summer a little bit about the Summer Olympics coming up, and, and the running portion of the Summer Olympics. The Olympics will be in London, as you probably know, end of July on through for several weeks there. And one of my favorite portions of the Summer Olympics every summer or every four years when they run are the running portion, the sprints, the 100 meter, 200 meter, 400, and then the relays. And I just love watching those men and those women run, just incredible athletes. The world record for the 100 meter dash right now is by a man by the name of Usain Bolt. I thought that's a great last name for a sprinter, Bolt. Some of you don't even get it. You're like, why is that a good name for a sprinter? Bolt. Record currently for a 100-meter dash is 9.58 seconds. If you stand at the back of the end zone on a football field, run through the end zone, across the goal line, all the way down the field, and cross the other goal line, that's about 100 meters. If you can do that in 9.58 seconds, you'll hold the world record. But of all the interesting things leading up to this Olympics, of all the interesting stories, and there are always stories of athletes and compelling stories of sacrifice, the most interesting to me is a man named Oscar Pistorius. Oscar Pistorius is a South African sprinter. And he is currently trying to qualify for the Olympics in London in 2012. Now this may not sound like a big deal to you. So there's another guy trying to qualify for the Olympics. This happens on a regular basis. Here's what you need to know about Oscar Pistorius trying to qualify for the 100 meter dash. Oscar Pistorius has no legs. That's true. He's a a double amputee. And so he's got prosthetic legs that he runs with. And you've ever seen him, they're literally just, just pieces of, 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 of aluminum. And they're just flat and they curve and then they curve back out kind of for the feet portion. He was, both of his legs were amputated when he was 11 months old. And he learned to walk with prosthetic legs. And he runs now with a special pair fitted just for running. Now he's done very well in the Paralympics. He's won numerous gold medals in the Paralympics and the Paralympic World Championships, but this is not the Paralympics. He's running against people that were born with their legs, able-bodied people that don't have any sort of of issues with prosthetics. He's going to compete against these people in the Olympics, and he's trying to make the team right now. He's been dubbed the fastest man with no legs. It's amazing. You should go to YouTube and watch this guy. It's phenomenal, his ability to run. But here's the problem with Oscar Pistorius is if getting to the Olympics and as if qualifying for the 100-meter dash weren't difficult enough, he's doing it with prosthetic legs. And if it weren't difficult enough that he doesn't have legs, he's trying to jump all these hurdles, literally, of people trying to stop him from running because they say his metal legs give him a little bit of an edge. Can you believe that? 
<laughs> they help him spring a little bit more and he can run a little bit faster. There are people that say that. And he's had to fight through numerous lawsuits and battle his way to literally have the opportunity to compete in the Olympic Games. And as I thought about his story and I thought about all the things that have hindered him and all the obstacles that have kind of been in his way and all the things he's had to fight through and battle through to get to that point, I started thinking about a spiritual race. And as I studied Hebrews chapter 12 this week in preparation for the sermon, I started thinking about all the hurdles and all the hindrances and all the things that entangle and ensnare us to keep us from running the race that God has called us to run. See, Oscar Pistorius is is fighting physical barriers. We're fighting in the Christian walk spiritual barriers. But I want to talk this morning about the race that God has called us to run. And I want to talk about how we can throw off the hindrances that will stop us from running it. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, before we look at the passage of Scripture, I want to tell you a couple of things coming up in the next few weeks. Next Sunday, I'm going to begin preaching on missions. I'm going to preach all summer on missions. This is kind of a precursor to the sermons on missions to remind us of the race we're called to run, of the endurance we're called to run it with. After next Sunday on June the 24th, we're going to have an informational meeting about Guatemala. If you're interested in going to Guatemala, you're interested in learning a little bit more about the dates and the costs and what that's going to entail, June the 24th, after the 11 o'clock service in the fellowship hall around noon, come in. It's going to be about a 15-minute meeting, not a long time. But you're going to learn a little bit more about exactly what God's doing. Let me tell you the background of Hebrews. If you're still looking, keep going. It's towards the end of the Bible. Hebrews is, is written about 70 BC, 70 AD, excuse me, about 70 years after the, uh, uh, the birth of Christ. But the interesting thing about Hebrews is we don't know who wrote it. It doesn't list in the book of Hebrews the actual author. So there's great debate between scholars. Some people believe Paul wrote it. Others believe Luke wrote it. We'll see in just a few minutes that some of the things that are said in Hebrews sounds like the Apostle Paul, but we don't know for sure. But all throughout the book of Hebrews, there are these interesting passages of Scripture that warn us. And they warn us very clearly about our drift. They warn us to press on, to endure, to persevere, to keep running the race that God has called us to race. And they encourage us not to quit. So we see examples. If you wanted to flip back, you can. You don't have to. But Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says this. Here's a warning. Be careful. Pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. You need to be careful. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See, we are prone to wander, right, as the old song goes. We're prone to drift God has called us to run this race, and he's called us to run it with endurance, and he's called us to run it with perseverance, but we know in our hearts that sometimes we fail. We know sometimes we drift. We know sometimes we don't, in fact, persevere. And so Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a very clear answer of how we need to combat that. Let's look at it this morning together. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I think we have it on the screens for you. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who? For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him 
who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, I want to be very honest with you as I kind of stand at the head of the line here. Let's be honest with each other. There have been times when we've grown weary. There have been times when we have lost heart. There have been times when we've looked around us and we've looked at the Christian walk and we've cried out to God, God, I just cannot do it anymore. I can't run with perseverance the race you've called me to run. I can't run with endurance the race you've called me to complete. I can't run in such a way to to find the prize and to reach the goal you've called me to. Lord, I need help. And within this passage of Scripture, I think there are three truths that will help us run that race. I think there are three truths that will help us be victorious in the end if we'll allow God to do the things in our heart that he wants to do. Number one. Here's truth number one. The writer of Hebrews gives us a very clear vision of victory. There's a very clear vision of victory found in this passage of Scripture. Verse 1 tells us we should throw off the things that hinder us. We should throw off the sin that easily entangles us, and we should run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us. Now, here's very clearly what this author is telling us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. God has got a plan for your life. He's got a direction and a course that he wants you to run, and he wants you to run it with perseverance, and he wants you to run it with endurance, and he wants you to run it in such a way that you're going to win. He hasn't called you to be defeated. He didn't call you as a believer in Jesus Christ to run a race that you're going to stumble and fail and eventually not complete the race. He called you to victory. Now, if you were to study through the New Testament, you'd see a lot of examples of this sort all through the Scriptures. Paul does this a lot. Paul uses examples like a soldier. Paul uses an example like a farmer. Paul uses an example of an athlete, just like it's used here in the book of Hebrews. And so we read passages of Scripture that say things like this, 2 Timothy 2.3, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, God calls us throughout the New Testament not only to win the race, but to understand that there's a vision of victory. God calls us to be victorious. But here's how the writer of Hebrews does this to kind of explain it to us in verse 12. He compares and contrasts. So he begins in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 by talking about this great cloud of witnesses. He says, therefore, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now we begin to ask ourselves the question, who's the cloud of witnesses? Who's this great cloud of witnesses that we're talking about in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1? Well, you don't have to do this now, but I would encourage you at some point to flip back to Hebrews chapter 11. The chapter just before Hebrews chapter 12 is sometimes referred to as the hall of faith or the hall of fame. And if you were to read Hebrews chapter 11, you would read about men like Noah, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, on and on and on the list goes. And all through the book of Hebrews chapter 11, all through the chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, these people are listed as men and women of faith. Men that did everything they could to follow God. It's kind of like a who's who of the Bible, right? If you did something and you followed God and and you were faithful in your walk, you're listed in Hebrews chapter 11. So the writer says, because of this great cloud of witnesses, because of these people that have gone before us, because of all these faithful men, remember Noah, remember Moses, remember Abraham, remember Isaac, remember all they accomplished, because of all they've done, because of their perseverance, because of their faith, because of their endurance, we're called to continue to run the race, right? They've handed the hurdle to us, they've handed the baton to us, it's time to us to continue to run the race. Now, I read this passage in Scripture and I can't help but think about Rosemont. 
I mean, our, our church fits so nicely into this passage of Scripture. Here's why. In the first service, in the 830 service, I asked anybody in that service that's been here really since the beginning to raise their hand. Almost half of that congregation at 830 raised their hand. Now, let me tell you what that means if you're new to Rosemont or you're visiting this morning. If they raise their hand in that first service, that means they have been in this church, faithfully a member of this church, for over 40 years. Right? They've been in this church longer than a lot of people have been alive sitting here right now. And they've given their blood, sweat, and tears for this church. They've built a foundation that we can now stand upon. They have been faithful to the teachings of Christ. They have been faithful to all that God has called them to do. And they've run the race with endurance. You understand that? Now imagine how ridiculous it would be for us to say something like this. We know these men and women have given 40 plus years of their lives to this church. But you know what? We're just kind of tired of running. We're kind of tired of doing it. So we're not even going to do it. We're just going to shut the doors, right? We're going to sh- we know they've done incredible things, but we're, we're tired of doing it. We can't endure. We're going to close doors. We, we don't say that, do we? We say instead this, because they've been so faithful, because they've done so many things, because God has blessed them so richly and so powerfully in so many ways, because of all they've done, we are now going to continue to run the race, right? We're not going to give up. We're not going to give in. We're going to endure. We're going to persevere because of the great cloud of witnesses, because of God has blessed and all the things God has already done. We're going to continue to run, and we're going to have a vision of victory. God is going to use us in mighty and powerful ways. But here's what this scripture doesn't say. This scripture doesn't say that we're to be passive, right? It doesn't say that we're to be spectators of the race. I know some of you guys ran in the Chick-fil-A 5K a few weeks ago. My wife ran in it. My daughter ran in the little one-mile deal. You know what I did? I watched. That's what I did. Yeah, go, honey. Yeah. 30 minutes later, I'm drinking a Coke. Yeah, you did great, honey. Woo, I know you're there. Congratulations. I was the spectator, right? That's what I did. That was my job, and I felt real good about myself because I watched the kids and stood at the finish line and clapped. But you know what she did? She endured. Some of you endured. I mean, it's real easy to stand on the sidelines, isn't it? It's real easy to feel good about ourselves when we're clapping and cheering everybody else. And, and there's a place for that in, in lifting one another up. And you know what God calls us to do? He calls us to run the race. He calls you to persevere. He calls you to endure. He calls you to keep on going. You say, well, Adam, that's difficult, right? I mean, I, I want to run the race. I've got this desire to run the race. But man, things just keep holding me back. Things keep ensnaring me and, and holding me down. Paul says you need to throw those things off. You need to take the, I said Paul, sorry, the writer of Hebrews. (laughs) The writer of Hebrews says you need to throw those things off. You need to take those things that are hindering you and get rid of them. You need to take the things like sin and the things that, that, that ensnare us and entrap us and the doubt in our minds and the fear sometimes. We need to take those things and remove them so we can run the race. You say, well, that's good, Adam. I want to run the race. I want to get rid of that stuff and I want to do what God's called me to do, but I'm not exactly sure what the race looks like. If you run in a race, a 5K road race, there are signs, right? And they say, go this way. And there are people that say, go this way. And you know exactly when you get to certain points where you're supposed to run. There are big signs and people that direct your course and help you understand exactly the direction you're supposed to go to get to the finish line. You say, I'm not sure what the race looks like. I'm not sure what the Christian walk ought to be like. Well, let me give you a couple of clear understand, a couple of clear ideas here that's, that's, that's taught in Scripture. There's some, there's some basic Christian standards we all need to be following. There's some basic things as believers we all need to be doing. Our race as a believer consists of some real clear things. Here's one of them. 
Matthew 37, excuse me, Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know the race God's called you to run? It starts there. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. How about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. You want to walk the Christian faith? You want to run the race? You want to endure? You want to persevere? Then you need to understand the Great Commission. Micah 6, 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good. Now here's the question. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. See, God has laid out for us a very clear path. God has given us a very clear direction. And so what this means within our Christian walk is that we need to practice the Great Commission faithfully, don't we? We need to persevere. We need to endure. We need to love God with perseverance, don't we? We need to endure. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves with perseverance and with endurance. And you know, just like I do, there are times we don't feel like this, do we? There are times we wake up and we don't want to share our faith, or we don't feel like we love the Lord, or we don't feel like we love our neighbor. We don't feel like we want to do the things God has called us to do. God calls us to endure. God calls us to walk with perseverance the path that he set out for us. But see, not only does God give us this kind of basic model of what a Christian life ought to look like, clearly taught in Scripture, but I think he gives every individual person different gifts that they need to use in the glory to God. So God says, we all need to share our faith. We all need to love the Lord. We all need to walk humbly with Him. We all need to seek His will. But you know what? I'm gifting each one of you individually with different gifts that I expect you to use as well. Some of you have the gift of teaching. You need to teach with endurance, right? Some of you have the gift of mercy. You need to be merciful with endurance. You need to persevere. Some of you have all sorts of spiritual gifts and all sorts of things that God has given you. You need to use those gifts to persevere, right? To endure. Why? Because God has marked out the path for you. He's marked out the road for you. He's given you the race that He wants you to run. And He's saying, you know what? You need to run it with endurance. Great, Adam. I want to run the race with endurance. I want to throw off the things that hinder me. I want to do all the things that God has called me to do. How do I do it? What's my strategy, right? If I was going to be running a race and I wanted to have a vision of victory, there would be a specific strategy for me. I would know exactly how I was going to train and what I was going to do and a certain regiment that I wanted to follow. How exactly am I supposed to win this race? Well, the answer is given in verse 2. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. If you want to run the race and run it for victory, look at verse 2. Here's the strategy. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's the second point. We have a vision of victory built upon the foundation of Christ. The strategy for running the race is to fix your eyes on Jesus. It's real clear. When I was younger, I learned orienteering. Orienteering, if you don't understand, is when you take a compass and a map and you basically find your way. Now, the way they do these competitions is you go out in the middle of this big field and they give you a compass and a map and they say, okay, here are the, here are the, the, the directions. You walk at this degree measurement, this many feet, and then you turn and you walk this degree, this many feet. And there are 15 or 20 different 
uh, di- different uh, uh, directions. And so you do number one. You walk a certain direction, a certain number of feet, and you stop. Direction number two. Now turn 273 degrees and walk 57 feet. And, you, and you, you follow this path. And at the very end, you put your little flag down right there. And they measure how close you are to where you're supposed to be. The closer you are, the better you are at orienteering. Well, here's the way they taught us. When you figure out the direction you're supposed to walk with your compass, you don't take that compass and hold it right here and walk like this the whole way. You know why? Because your hand may be unsteady. You may not walk exactly in the straight path. Here's the way I was taught. You take that compass and you take that line, whatever mark that is you're supposed to walk, whatever degree measurement you're supposed to walk, and you take that line and you match it up dead on with some sort of a tree or an object way off in the distance. And you find that object and you keep your eye on that object. So when I'm supposed to walk in this direction at whatever degree, a certain number of feet, I'm not looking down at my compass. I'm looking at that object. And I'm walking the whole time. I'm walking dead towards that tree. You know why? Because that tree's not moving. That tree's not wavering. That tree's not changing positions. And if I walk towards that tree, I'll arrive at my point straight where I need to be. So here's the problem with us as we talk about following Christ. We want to walk towards Christ, but we look at so many other things in our journey, don't we? We have this desire to walk towards Christ. There He is, and He's unmoving. He's unwavering. He's unshakable. If we'll just put our eyes on Him and walk, we'll end up where we're supposed to be. But you know what we do? We start here. God, I want to follow you. I want to do what you call me to do. I've got a desire to do this, but I'm so busy over here with all this stuff. Just give me a few minutes. I'll get back to you, right? Where is that point again? There it is, okay? Let me walk again and look. No, no, I'm busy over here with this stuff with the family. Let me walk again. No, no, I'm busy over here with my career moving. And, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but here's the problem. We take our eyes off Christ and we put them on the things of the world and we can't figure out why our paths don't end up where Christ wants them. You want to know the strategy for running the race with perseverance and endurance? You fix your eyes on Christ. You say, well, that's great. I fix my eyes on Christ, but why do I fix my eyes on Him? I mean, why should I fix my eyes on Christ? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us three things. He gives us three very clear reasons of why we should focus on Jesus. Look at the verse. He says, number one, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He began a good work in us, and guess what? He's not going to give up. He's not going to quit. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We understand through the teachings of Scripture that if we'll focus on Christ, if we'll keep our eyes on Him, that the work He began in us, He won't give up. And so those moments when we're tired, those moments when we're ready to give up, those moments when we're not enduring and persevering, Christ is. And we look to Him and we focus on Him because He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Look at what it says next in that verse. We focus on Christ because He endured the cross. See, the next time you get tired... The next time you don't think you can make it, the next time you don't think you can endure, you remember Christ. You remember what He gave up for you. God, I'm just so tired. I'm just not sure I can do this. Remember what Christ gave up for you. You know, Christ could have given up at any point. He made it very clear in the teachings through the gospel that He knew exactly what He was doing and exactly what He was going. And there came a point very clearly in the Scriptures when He told His disciples, it's time to go to Jerusalem. It's time to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests, to the leaders of the law. They're going to beat me, mock me, crucify me, and kill me. But it's time to go. He could have very easily given up. He could have very easily quit. He could have very easily called angels down to protect him. But he didn't. He endured the cross. 
We focus on Him because we remember all He did for us and all He gave to us. And when we get tired and, and, and we get uh, to the point we're ready to quit and we get to the point that we can't persevere, we focus our eyes again on Christ. And then we see that He sat down at the right hand of God. Right? He endured the cross and then sat down at the right hand of God. He, he did all the things He did because He understood what God had called Him to do. He understood what God had called Him to be. And so when you begin to think about your Christian walk, you begin to think about how you can actually run this race and persevere. You begin to think about doing it with the foundation of Jesus Christ. Here's what you have to understand. In our own strength, we can't run this race. In our own strength, we can't persevere. In our own strength, we can't endure. But through the power of Jesus Christ working in our lives, we can. Here's an illustration that will help you understand that. Next time you think you're really fast or you're really strong, or you're really good at something, ask yourself this question. How strong or fast or good would I be if the supply of oxygen were cut off to my brain? How fast could you run with no oxygen? How well could you think with no oxygen? How strong would you be with no oxygen? See, we, we, we think we can do all these things. What we don't understand oftentimes is if, if you didn't have oxygen going into your body and literally coursing through your blood and in your brain, you wouldn't be able to do anything. You'd die. It's the same way with Christ in our lives. We begin to think we can do it ourselves. We begin to think we're strong enough or we're smart enough or we can accomplish all these things. What we have to understand is with Christ in our lives, with Christ as our foundation, with Christ and the Holy Spirit literally coursing through the veins in our body, we can do it. But without Him, we can't. We're weak and we will fail. Our vision of victory is built only upon the foundation of Christ. Now look at verse 3 as we finish up this morning. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's the third truth. We've got a vision of victory built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, driven, number three, by a spirit of endurance. We are driven by a spirit of endurance. Here's what your Christian walk ought to be like. God, through the power of Christ working in my heart, I will not quit. Through the power of Christ working in my heart, I will not give up. Through the power of Christ working in my heart, it doesn't matter what you throw at me, Lord. It doesn't matter what the world throws at me. It doesn't matter what difficulties I encounter. I will not give up. I think about this spirit of endurance, and I think about all the people that have gone before us and have given their lives. And I can't help but think about all the missionaries all through the centuries, literally, that have traveled to faraway places and given up many, many decades of their lives simply to share the story of Jesus Christ. I think of Adoniram Judson. Some of you guys are familiar with him. I was studying this week and doing some research, and I came upon his story. And I want to tell you just a brief little bit about his information who he was. In 1830, with his new wife, Anne, he traveled to Burma. Now, Burma is current Myanmar. It's Southeast Asia. I want to read you just a portion of his biography. 1830, Burma. There was not one known Christian in that land of millions. Now, you imagine yourself in that place. You want to talk about faithful endurance? He goes to Burma, and there was not one known Christian in that land of millions. There was no friends in that robber-infested, idolatry-infected, iniquity-filled land. A baby was born to alleviate the loneliness of the young, young couple, but it was only for a temporary time. Eight months later, Roger William Judson was buried under a great mango tree. The melancholy tum-tum of the death, death drum was heard by the thousands as it claimed cholera. 
There were no converts, and it would be six long, soul-crushing, heartbreaking years before the date of the first decision for Christ. Then on June the 27th, 1819, Judson baptized the first Burman believer. Judson jotted in his journal, Oh, may it prove to be the beginning of a series of baptisms in the Burman Empire, which shall continue in uninterrupted success to the end of the age. Converts were added slowly, a second, then three, and then six, and then 18. But opposition came. Finally, Judson was imprisoned as a British spy, an imprisonment that lasted 21 months. Judson was condemned to die, but in answer to prayers, to God and the incessant pleadings of his wife to officials, Judson's life was spared. And finally, British intervention freed him from imprisonment. On April the 12th, 1850, at the age of 62, Judson died. Except for a few months when he returned briefly to America, Judson had spent 38 years in Burma. Shortly before his death, he said this, I'm not tired of my work, neither am I tired of the world. Yet when Christ calls me home, I will go with gladness. Now there's a great cloud of witnesses that stands before us. There's a great cloud of believers who have been faithful to the teachings of Christ. There's a great cloud of witnesses that have run the race and has persevered. God wants to do incredible things in our lives. God wants to do incredible things in our heart. But He calls you to run the race. And He calls you to run it with endurance. And He calls you to do it with a vision of victory. And He calls you to do it with a foundation built upon Jesus Christ. And He calls you to do it with a spirit of endurance. Here's the question you have to ask. Are you going to allow Christ to work in your heart and to accomplish incredible things through you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word, for the clarity of your teaching. Father, we thank you for the ability to study your word. Lord, forgive us for not enduring at all times. Forgive us, Lord, for not persevering. Forgive us for not running the race like we should run it at all times. But Lord, help us from this moment forward through the power of Jesus Christ, working in our hearts, working in our minds, working in our lives. The foundation of Jesus Christ, our lives are built upon, Father. Help us to run that race and help us to run it with endurance. Help us to run it with perseverance, Lord. Help us to see very clearly the path of victory you've laid out before us. And through the power of Jesus Christ, working in our hearts, do incredible things in us and among us. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia, or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.